0: Get ready,
1: We're on the air, it's Behind the Scenes with Brian. Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management, to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones, and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and today I'm speaking with a longtime friend and associate, Pete Kowalewski. Pete, how are you?
0: I'm doing well today, Brian. Thank you.
1: Good, Yeah, and we're recording this during the pandemic, and I hope that your life isn't too interrupted by, by the various issues related
0: to the pandemic. Just getting used to a, a new view out of a new window. You know, yeah. more, more home, less office. But yeah. other than that, it's great. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's interesting how much of the work we seem to be able to do without being face-to-face with people
0: yeah, it's, I think it's pretty interesting. We were kind of having—I was having a conversation with a, uh, one of our my coworkers—and uh, talking about how much we're we're using the the products, you know, Teams and Zoom and 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 such, that people feel a lot more empowered, maybe to to just reach out because we're all remote and that's the way instead of you know walking to an office next door you know we just pop somebody up on teams and have a conversation and the question was is when we transition back Mm. to the the full-time office will it actually facilitate contacting people in other offices you know we have multiple offices will it break down some of those barriers and facilitate communication to where we actually see improvement in how we communicate once we get back to the office. So if you can't just walk into their office, there's less hesitation to just pop open a conversation you know, on teams or, or one of, uh, one of those, those platforms and actually end up with a better, you know, better communication, um, culture as a result which would be nice to get a get a positive outcome of all this
1: (laughs) right yeah yeah and 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 you're right it makes you wonder how much of the way we're doing business now can carry over and that the tendency is for offices to get bigger and bigger as we add more staff but if staff were on a you know three three days in the office and two days out rotation you wouldn't necessarily need an office for everybody uh, you know there, there could be uh, offices that are temporary for people that are coming in for their two or three days a week or one day a week or whatever it is and you wouldn't necessarily have to have an office for a hundred people that's true Yeah, I, I don't know if it, it would work or not I know a lot of outfits that had a work remote practice reversed that a few years ago some of the big guys the big tech companies reversed that but Maybe, uh maybe the world has changed enough that we can do something like that
0: yeah i think there are there are certain things that i think have you know being face to face and and in the same room and maybe you know staring at the same drawings that are laid out or, or the same screen at the same time but not in a remote setting i think there's a lot of value particularly i think the at least in my opinion that the, the Kind of the remote nature of where we're at now we have to be more focused on developing our less experienced staff who really do benefit by just popping into an office and having a conversation or or, you know talking over a project very quickly that we need to be more deliberate with the remote setting now because it's just not as easy to you know the the the, uh, the classic you know manage by walking around really can't be done yeah. right whereas a Senior engineer, you can't just walk down down the row and stop in and talk to people about what they're working on. And if they have any questions, you have to be a little bit more deliberate in, in making a time or an effort to make that happen. And I think that for development of junior staff, I think that's really what I see is that w- with the remote nature, we really need to focus on making sure that that's maintained.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, there's nothing like just scribbling on a whiteboard and, and just scribbling away or looking at red lines on a drawing or a report or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pete, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your, uh, maybe your education.
0: Sure. Well, it all started with. but (laughs) no, I, uh, I actually, you know, kind of one of the interesting things about me, I'm, I'm actually, I was born and raised in New York and um, grew up on Long Island and then headed West to go to the Colorado School of Mines. And uh, I received my, my bachelor's in geological engineering from the Colorado School of Mines. Went to work in Lakewood right after graduation. Um, I was hoping to get into environmental remediation when I was graduating. For some reason, I had it in my mind oh. that saving the world was going to be my, my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, you needed a master's degree to save the world at the time. <laughs> and I wanted to work right away.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and. And ended up interviewing locally and, and was hired by a, uh, a consulting firm there in, in Lakewood that actually focused on the mining industry. And so that wasn't really in my mind where I really thought I was going to go, which yeah. is kind of ironic having gone to the Colorado School of Mines, but I was <laughs> leaning more towards like the, um, like I said, remediation and, and environmental type aspects but then got this job working for a consulting company in the mining industry, and I was hooked. I mean, I I fell in love with it, um, loved you know the the opportunities that working in the mining industry provided, and um, I then pursued a master's degree at the Colorado School of Mines while I was working, which presented some challenges, oh, but at yeah. the same time some yeah. fantastic opportunities to um to to take what I was doing at work and, uh, and applying it in the academic setting which to me i think was very valuable for me um so i received my my master's in engineering in applied mechanics which hmm. is a degree that the school of mines then got rid of after i graduated i think i was the last person with it um, and so i got to kind of custom build my program which was really nice so i did a little bit of uh geotechnical aspects of of uh, you know engineering for for mine waste facilities yeah um and then i did a lot of um hydro geo and unsaturated flow and so i was able to kind of gain kind of a broad background um and use that as a focus my focus kind of for my engineering report for for my degree was on um, evaluating uh water balances for uh closure covers soil covers
1: oh, okay yeah. so that
0: was back yeah. in the 90s so the, the help model was kind of this big big uh, you know th- that was the big EPA tool and right. it was right at the same time as all of these um, some very interesting unsaturated flow models the soil cover model was coming yeah. out of the unsaturated soils group up in Canada mm-hmm. and um, I had the opportunity to work with that group on a project actually and so I was able to to take that experience into my master's program and I, I did some work kind of comparing and contrasting the help model type work versus um, these new, this soil cover model in arid regions, which have some very unique attributes Mm. and and such. And so it was was, was awesome and I I really enjoyed it. And then I actually started pursuing a PhD in water resources more on the open channels and spillways and that type of thing at the University of Colorado while I was working. Huh. And that unfortunately came up a little short when I moved to Elko. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so yeah background-wise, that um I spent 15 or so years in in Denver and then moved to Elko to to start up a an office um, for Vector Colorado at the time, which the the office became Vector Nevada, which is where we started started yeah. seeing each other around town a lot more. So. Right. 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 Yeah. Yep, and, how, and now Salt for her, Lake for the past 10 or 11 years. Uh, yeah.
1: For how long do you think you were in Elko?
0: I was in Elko a little over five years.
1: Okay, yeah, we were there about 10 years, but it's hard for me to say because we had a house in Denver and one in Elko, <laughs> and there was kind of a gradual transition.
0: I was gonna say, and if you ask my wife how long I've lived in Elko, she would still <laughs> say I'm still I'm still spending quite a bit of time there. So, <laughs> no house yeah. though. Got rid of the yeah. house after yeah. five years.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we actually when we sold our Spring Creek house, I bought a little one in the Tree Streets, and I really enjoyed being able to hang my hat up on a hat hook while I was going back and forth. It was just a really pleasant place to live.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So. Pete, tell us about your current company.
0: Well, my current company, uh, Tierra Group International. Um, We are a small, we like to consider ourselves kind of a niche type firm. We do civil, geotech, water resources, uh, consulting, and engineering design for the mining industry. Um, We with a primary focus on uh, mine waste containment facilities, so the majority of our work um, is in the tailings arena, doing uh, design, doing um, review, consulting, a lot, a lot of different services that come come through there, water management. Um, and then through, we, we do heat bleach work, um, waste rock dump designs, and all of these services we can provide all the way from the front end, um, all the way through to closure. And uh, we do that through, uh, we have three offices right now. We have an office, our main office is in Lakewood, Colorado. And then we have an office in Salt Lake, one in Elko, Nevada, and one down in Lima, Peru. And so Mm. through those four offices, we actually support services around the world. Uh, We're working right now as far as uh, West Africa. And then in the other direction, we've just finished up some work in uh, Laos and we do we do a lot of work in North America, the, the Western US, um, Mexico, Central America, South America. Uh, so kind of it, it's COVID has changed a little bit in terms of how mobile we can be in terms of getting around. But, um, yeah. you know, that's the one thing like you mentioned before is that with all the technology, we've been able to maintain... Uh, design, you know, efforts and such. Even, even with the, the COVID restrictions, we've been able to to maintain our, our access to projects and clients and, and continue projects that are are very remote in terms of their their execution. And then, as things uh, relax, we, we've been able to to get some folks onto the, the sites that we need to be on. And obviously, it's it's a whole new world in terms of how the the precautions we need to take and, and execute that way.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. There's some things that are getting behind schedule and, and maybe even bothersome, like doing our, our annual inspections of, of facilities, yeah. um, videos and photographs and even drones are okay. But having a set of eyeballs that are five feet off of the ground sometimes is a whole bunch better than, a, than things like that.
0: And, uh- i absolutely agree yeah it's it's certainly been been difficult and um we have luckily been been able to to maintain boots on the ground in a a lot of locations obviously like i mentioned having to, to step through all of the uh the new protocols and testing and, and whatnot but um but yeah i agree it's 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 not the same when someone is taking pictures or flying a drone it's, it's not the same as as being able to kick the dirt and and just things things that come to you when you when you're want you know walking around and and moving that way and right uh, yeah looking forward to to things you know uh, us getting this under control and being able to more freely do those things that we're used to doing
1: yeah yeah so, what uh, what type of work keeps you the busiest these days?
0: Well, that is that's a good question. Um, we kind of have a nice mix of we're we're working on several tailings facilities for uh, designs for new facilities and and raises of existing facilities. Uh, we do provide um, engineer of records support on a number of facilities, like which, as you mentioned, inspections and um, monitoring. You know data collection as well as data interpretation at a number of sites and then one of the things i think that we're seeing um kind of a as a lot of folks are involved in the tailings world is we're seeing a fair amount of work um with governance so tailing stewardship is the the terminology that we've used for the past couple of years Mm -hmm. um but even even more recently with the um uh, the, the the publishing of the the global industry standard for tailings management is we've seen a, a number of, of existing clients and a number of new clients that have come to the table asking for um, evaluations as to how their programs stack up or, or what do they need to be doing different to, to kind of come into compliance, whether obviously the the, with the publishing of the standard and and the endorsement of that or and and development with icmm um icmm members have a commitment to to comply yeah. so we have a number of, of clients that are actually saying what do we need to do to, to come into compliance and then there are others that say we really like the whole idea you know the whole idea of this we're not it's not um required for us to come in but but as the best as a best practice we feel like we should and so th- with their resources and these are smaller companies you know are saying we might not have the resources to do the full but can you tell us what does it look like so what we can plan accordingly and so we've been doing kind of like audits for oh, okay. um, for programs to yeah. see how they measure against the the, the requirements and um, it, it's been very interesting. And like I said, I, I think we we've seen that kind of across the board with a number of our friends at, at different consulting groups that they're finding themselves busy, really addressing some of the outcomes that have, have come out of the implementation of that, the global industry standard. Um, and so, so that does keep us quite busy as well.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's good. And I think it, it's going to create even more business, uh, going forward. I know that, uh like a a similar uh, program was the the International Cyanide Code, which was audited. There would be auditing companies that would come in. The the new tailing standard, though, self-admits that it is, I I believe, that it would be difficult to audit against the new standard. But I I think there are some things that are easier to audit than others at least. Sure.
0: I yeah. I totally agree and and I have heard kind of just from, you know, various things around that, you know, there there does seem to be at least the thought process of how do you develop an, an auditable, you know, how do you create a program that would audit progress against the, the standard or, you know, just as a, I hate to use the word compliance, but, yeah. but you know, alignment with, yeah. uh, you know, alignment with, with the, the, the requirements because you are right. I think there are aspects to it that make it, it's not so prescriptive that it's easy to just to check a box. You would, you, you're, you, whoever was doing that type of review would have to be pretty knowledgeable about, you know, the tailings management overall to be able to weigh in. And, and then it would still, I believe, incorporate a fair amount of, of opinion as opposed to really true fact-based audit, right?
1: Yeah, even the, the definition of engineer of record, um, a mining company might identify a person on their company as being their engineer of record, but that engineer might uh, not yet agree that they're fully defined as an engineer of record maybe that there's still some studies that they need to right. undertake before they embrace that as, as a, a term that they're willing to accept
0: right yeah and that, that that's a very good point is is that full understanding of how sometimes companies perceive that eor versus the the liability that gets attached to it and whereas if you're you are the EOR potentially being put in into that role is a fair amount of due diligence to, to understand the the risk of taking on that responsibility. yeah 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 interesting
1: So Pete what do you uh, there's a lot of talk about filtered tailings being a key component of tailings management going forward and I see that there's some pretty nice advances in machine capacity and generally interest throughout the mining industry where uh, even just a few years ago somebody would say you you can do it up to 10,000 tons a day but once you go beyond that it's just not economical and i i know when i was working at my former company there was a a miner in latin america who, who was truly interested in producing filtered tailings at the rate of 300,000 tons a day very are, are, Yeah, (laughs) I I think that's That's still a big step up. Yeah, 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 I think that's still somewhere in the future. But are you seeing uh, increased interest with your clients for the use of filtered tailings?
0: You know, there have been several that it's very interesting. I we I'm actually working with a a new client right now, um, who is a, a very keen on the 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 tailings processing and for a number of years now they've actually been operating a a paste tailings facility Mm. and it's very interesting to me just because we hear about um, a lot of this technology and the owners kind of embrace you know through the the continuum in terms of the the dewatering right we have the conventional tailings and then we get into this thickened area and then you know you you get into the 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 thickened and the paste and then yeah the true filtered tailings and it seems like we always have this this the the concept of of we're going to do thickened tailings or something like that and and it doesn't ever quite get to where you'd like it to be truly right operationally Mm -hmm. maybe you don't achieve the percent solids that you'd like yeah um and like like you had mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little circuitous in my it's in okay. my response here, yeah. but uh, but but I do think that that there is more of a focus on the water management, and like this new client that we're working with right now, they're truly working in the in the, I would say right in the realm of thickened really to paste because they're actually using they're at the point where they're using positive displacement pumps to actually Uh, move the tailings. hmm. And I believe, believe they're in 60, 60 plus percent, you know, 62, 63% solids, something like that. Hmm. And, um, it's a, it's a very interesting aspect because there isn't that water associated. There's not, not really free water associated with, with their tailings.
1: Hmm.
0: And so overall though, I do see that whereas before it was kind of shoved off as a, it's not, economic it's not this that there is kind of a circling back of hey with all of these advances in technology that we are hearing about is there a possibility to go through and then trying to be innovative in that approach as well is filtered tailings and then hey if you have multiple pits or if your pit you know your pit is exhausted and you now are doing something else can we put tailings back into the pit? And we've also seen the continuum of answers there of, can you put conventional tailings back into a pit? Can you Mm -hmm. put thickened or or paste tailings back into a pit? And then ultimately recent discussions that I've had with, with somebody was, Hey, could we take these, these tailings, you know, filtered tailings, and can we actually put them back in the pit, which obviously seems to me like it would be a, 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 Potentially a very viable solution. Obviously, there's some chemistry issues, but from yeah, a, right, right, or potentially chemistry issues, but from a water management side of things and, and uh, logistics, if you could take dry tailings and put them back into a, a, a pit, you, you've really reduced significant, you know, your risk portfolio definitely is, is reducing significantly in that type of aspect, right? Obviously, it right. needs to be economic, but, but, uh, right. but it's that... very interesting. And, and yes,
1: it, I could even But yes, see, we have seen
0: more on that, yeah.
1: Yeah, I could even see some opportunities for harvesting conventionally deposited tailings into an open pit. You know, if if they do desiccate oh, yeah. enough and then you've got more room behind your engineered structure to to place the tailings. Yeah, there's that's um, a, yeah,
0: that's actually a very interesting concept as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, remember where you heard it first? <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, uh, we've we covered quite a bit of stuff. Is there anything you want to share with us about Tierra Group?
0: Well, Tier Group, you know, we we really, you know, I, I we're actually in our, our ninth year of providing services, so we mm-hmm. haven't been around for for a really long time, but I feel like we we've um,
1: really well established.
0: Been, we, I would say I feel like we we've basically. We've we've made an impression in the in the industry and, yeah. and have had the opportunity to work with a with a lot of great people, on a lot of great projects. And um, where our focus is to continue, staying abreast of the latest technologies. And as I mentioned, we do a lot of work on in the, the tailings arena and uh, making sure that that we're serving our clients whether they be new or or long term um you know with the best service that we can and uh yeah yeah it's um it's been a great experience you know uh working in the industry and i think through our company as well maintaining that uh that personal level of contact um has been really important and um really enjoyable i think you know as well i really enjoy the opportunity to to meet um all you know People with all different types of operations and different, you know, outlooks yeah. on things, and yeah, and uh, yeah, it's been great from that, yeah. that aspect, and being yeah. able to work with a with a very strong team has benefited us tremendously as well.
1: Yeah, I know your your uh, company is really highly regarded, and you st- seem to have really good staff retention as well. So I think that speaks highly of the company too.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, it's always great to hear. Yeah. You know, yeah. What other others think of, of us. <laughs> You're right. Right.
1: So pig so before yeah. I let you go back to your day job, is there any any last uh, uh, pearls of wisdom that you'd like to drop on us or anything else? Oh
0: you know, I would say really for, for people that you know for for young engineers, um don't be afraid to take the opportunity. You know what I mean? That that like sitting back sometimes and letting things come to you um is not the way that you're going to get the most excitement in your career and that uh you know with with particularly in our industry there are a lot of opportunities to support projects in remote locations and those might be extended assignments or it might be um you know going you know relocating yourself maybe outside of a, a, a comfortable place to maybe a less comfortable place and um but my my encouragement would be to 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 take, you know, if those opportunities, you know, if you, you identify those opportunities, don't be afraid to to step out because I think that's really where the the growth and opportunity comes. And, you know, you and I had, had been talking about Elko and I back in the early 2000s, I had the opportunity to to move from Denver to Elko and um, take on some new responsibilities there. And I, I look back at, at that time and, and the growth that occurred by putting yourself into a challenging situation, you know it was fantastic, and and you know th- those types of opportunities, whether it be Elko or Winnemucca or or you know Ely or you know where, wherever or, or internationally, or mm-hmm. there there are a lot of um, opportunities that come up that you see the folks that that latch on to those opportunities really see that exponential growth in their their professional development. And so my encouragement would be don't be afraid to to step out and take on those opportunities and you know as you as you develop your career
1: yeah that's that's really good advice and you know it reminds me when i got back from 4 years in south africa shortly after that my boss comes to me and says don't you want to move to elko nevada which seemed like <laughs> can can i just stay in the city for a while but both of those moves were tremendous career moves for me uh, both and the It does cause a lot of uh, real growth in your engineering abilities uh, in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because early in my career, I had an opportunity to go to South Africa. Mm -hmm. And there were just circumstances that didn't allow it to happen. And and that's like when I look back, I go, man, what would that have been like? Because it would have been just an absolutely amazing opportunity. Um, but it was a, it was a lost opportunity just because I just I just wasn't in the right place to be able to 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 embrace that uh, you know, yeah. at the time.
1: Yeah, um, and yeah, but and for- yeah.
0: When if you can do it.
1: Yeah, and and we were fortunate to be in the situation where we could do it. And the main reason we did it was because I didn't want to look back at my life and say, I "Wonder what would have happened if we moved there." you know it's you might be absolutely com- yeah. you might be really comfortable where you are but you might be better off in the long run by doing something more exotic or or it doesn't doesn't have to be exotic it can be just a change of scenery change of situation and you know a place like elko nevada can give you a lot of growth experiences for sure absolutely well pete i really appreciate your time with us And I'll let you get back to your day. I I, want to thank you for coming on here and spending a little bit of time and uh, helping me to understand uh, Tierra Group a little bit better and getting to know you a little bit better, too.
0: Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. And uh, certainly, uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to to talk with you.
1: Absolutely. Thanks again, Pete.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Brian.
1: Bye-bye. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.